I feel like we have gone a bit soft. So controversy, maybe there's too much molly coddling, smothering, nanny state, cotton wooling, whatever you want to call it. And I think therefore we've lost quite a few skills. And I would like to see more younger people especially, but all sorts of people just having that struggle and, and, and learning to stand up again on their own two feet and to strengthen themselves physically and psychologically. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. If anyone knows about mental toughness, Paula Reed does. She has learned resilience firsthand and understands how to perform enduringly in the toughest of conditions. From skiing to the South Pole to yacht racing around the world, she has learned how to thrive in hugely challenging circumstances. She has a unique combination of business intelligence, personal extreme expedition experience, and a master's in applied positive psychology. Her expertise is unique in being able to equip people with the tools to thrive in challenging and uncertain conditions. Today's conversation discusses far-ranging topics like have we become too soft, how to talk to yourself when things get hard, savoring the little things, surviving, coping, and thriving, and living your life to the full. Enjoy today's conversation in The Forge. From halfway around the world, we welcome adventure psychologist Paula Reed to The Forge for our whopping episode 50. That's pretty crazy. It's been a lot of fun along this journey, and I can't think of a better guest to have for episode 50. And you're going to understand why as we get into this. Paula, you call yourself an adventure psychologist. And I can tell you that one of my core values is adventure. I'm, I'm right there with you. I love adventure, but I think everybody looks at adventure a little differently. And so I would like to start off, if we're going to talk about adventure in this podcast, what is your definition of adventure? How would you describe it? Straight in at the deep end. Thank you. I've been battling this definition for years and for me, it's about going into the unknown. So uncertainty and the unknown, not knowing what's around the corner. And you could just leave it at that, to be honest. And therefore, tiny moments in life could be seen as an adventure. However, the way I generally look at it when I'm using the concept of adventure is that it's a longer thing than a moment. It, for me, it's it's more of a, a journey, and that could be anything from, let's say, 10 minutes to 100 years. It's a journey of ups and downs, so it definitely involves uncertainty, and I think the unknown is a key element of adventure, but quite often it also involves challenge and i'm gonna i'm gonna leave it at that so a, a wild swim or a short walk down somewhere you've never been before could be an adventure all the way through to i guess a romping around the world in three years could be an adventure and everything in between and let me let me jump in one more time uh, thank you for that paula and so the dictionary definition is an unusual and exciting 
typically hazardous experience or activity. So I like the fact that you're kind of opening this up. It doesn't really necessarily have to be hazardous, right? A lot of the things you do are hazardous. But I also want to open this up to the idea that, hey, we don't have to go to Antarctica to experience adventure. So I appreciate the fact that uh, you have that definition. Well, and Paula, you have in your background. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So I was just going to say, because the hazard and risk thing is the key bit that everyone debates about. Yeah. And I don't think it necessarily has to include hazard or risk. And it would certainly include risk awareness or risk management, but not necessarily risky behavior. But for me, that's why I said challenging. I, I kind of prefer the concept of challenge rather than hazard or risk. So, yeah, that, that's, that's a debatable point. And adventure changes with age, right? As as our priorities change, as our, I mean, I don't want to just say just because we get older, but, you know, it, it's also just our priorities and what becomes, what sets us outside of our comfort zone changes as we get older. So what was adventurous to us when we were young might not be the same when we get older, which we might talk to you a little bit about. But I, I want to kind of outline for our audience. So we're talking about adventure. Why? Because you are an adventure psychologist, which is such a fun, it's like my two favorite words put together. (laughs) And we know about sports psychology, most of us. I would love for you to kind of give us the overall view of what is adventure psychology and what do you do with that? Okay. So first of all, I think for you and I, Tara, brilliant two words put together. For for some people, the worst two words, you know, Hmm. adventure and psychology, I know. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so I think it's best described in comparison to sports psychology. So so if I'm going to be very quick and dirty about sports psychology, for me, it's about peak performance, but in a short period of time and generally in quite a known environment and context. So 90 minutes, you kind of know the field of play, the rules of engagement, what you're wearing, what the performance is typical about, and it's shortened peak However, adventure is a longer, you know, how do we endure and sustain performance over time? Life isn't a 90-minute game. So how do, we, how do we maintain a decent level of performance but not always peak because it'll, you know, it'll kill you? It's not competitive so much. It's more collaborative and inclusive. It's more accessible. It's not so elitist. But also it does involve uncertainty and change and challenge. So variability of context and environment changing conditions, lots of uncertainty, no clear rules of the game and all that. So it does contrast quite well and still involves performance and it may involve some peak performance physically and psychologically, but it's sustainable, full of uncertainty and quite often involves some sort of adversity or challenge. There lies the reason why a lot of people don't like those words, right? The uncertainty, ambiguity, these are these are really tough. Yeah, and I think some people see the word of adventure as something quite light and you know you're skipping off down the road with a knotted handkerchief on a stick. But but and so they go, well, you know, my life's harder or tougher and more important than just adventuring. But actually I think adventuring is very challenging and it requires both courage and humility to do it. So, so I think it's a, it's a harder, deeper concept than just a, you know, a a children's book type adventure as well. Yeah. 
let me go let me go back to something you said that caught my attention. I'm writing my own book and one of the chapters is talking about this idea of competition and the blasphemy that I'm going to I'm going to propose is that I think competition is overrated and a lot of times it's toxic. No, really? Noticed, yeah, well, I noticed that you said we don't necessarily I mean it's not competitive. It's more collaborative. So can yes. we, I guess my question is, what are your thoughts on, can we be our best? Can we perform at a high level? Can we even be elite without having to compete with somebody else? <laughs> so, so yeah, competition's a zero-sum game. And if you win, somebody else has to lose, which I, I just, well, it's just different, isn't it? Whereas adventure, yeah, more inclusive, more accessible, and I think you can compete with yourself if you need to. You can compete with your own standards or or personal best or best version of yourself if if you need to add that element. If you want to feel a bit more stretched or have a target or a performance level that you're aiming for. So so I think you can have your own version of elite, but in a non-competitive way. I, as, as I agree with you, it's, it's more open, inclusive and collaborative, which for me is a nice metaphor for the whole world actually if we can if we can all be a bit more adventurous and a bit more you know collaborative and open to each other's journeys then i think the world would be a better place well I'm let's talk you. about yeah let's talk about how that's worked for you i mean because you are an amazing adventurer yourself you're the third british and the 14th international woman to ski full distance from the coast of antarctica to the south pole which just blows my mind because that's what is that over a thousand miles a thousand kilometers a thousand kilometers yeah but you're going over ice it's super remote i would imagine that you have to have a huge backup plan for when things go wrong we would love for you to start there i know you've done a lot more than just this but tell us what those 46 days were like yeah. So, so <laughs> relentlessly tough in two words, I think is best described. You'd expect it to be tough. It's, it's uphill, actually, surprisingly, perhaps. It's, it, it elevates 3,300 metres towards the pole. Hmm. It's against the wind because the catabatic winds come off the pole and off the polar plateau hmm. towards the coast. So you're against the wind, uphill, minus 40 degrees, plus wind chill, pulling 80 kilograms on a on a pulk so imagine living in your freezer twice as cold working out for 12 hours a day and all that you know it was it was obviously mega tough and it was more relentlessly tough and difficult than I imagined even though I knew it would be difficult and then I also got a condition a cold injury basically called polar thigh on day seven of the 46th that completely floored me for two days, psychologically and physically, while I was pondering medivacking out. And that is a whole other story, maybe for another podcast, but fascinating. But I, I rallied. I, I kind of gave myself a, a talking to and I worked things out in my head as I was skiing along. And eventually, two days later, came to the conclusion that I could carry on, providing I wasn't a burden to the team. And I managed my condition and I did carry on. So yeah, I got to I got to the South Pole. It was relentlessly tough and harder than I thought. But I reckon that, that having two knackered legs, two bad legs for all that time made it three, four or five times harder. <laughs> so let's, I'm still glad uh, I did it. That's the crazy thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and let's let's dig into that. So 
I've been faced with those moments of, I feel like quitting. And you said you gave yourself a talking to. Let's go inside that mm. conversation. What does that talking to sound like that changed your kind of your mindset to say, I will carry on? So this was before I did my master's degree in psychology. So I didn't have the the scientific evidence, if you like, to back up any thinking. I was on my own. And it started, own well, it, a lot of swearings, which I won't do now, but like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, this is not good. But imagine that in a very swearing type of a tone. It started like I was really depressed. So I was upset, slightly angry, hugely disappointed, anxious and stressed about the actual condition, lonely, tearful, lacking energy, it was it was bad and I so felt it physically as well because I remember day eight I had no energy but I had to carry on skiing because if I was medevaced out they'd have to arrange a plane to come out so I had to carry on skiing but I just remember having no energy whatsoever physically and just wanting to sit down and have a sulk and then obviously in my head I had all this horrible negative talk going on however once I'd got over that which took quite a while I started to be more pragmatic I suppose I'm quite a pragmatic person and a lot of it was like well what actually is going on here do I really need to medivac out how painful is it how dangerous is it how might I deteriorate over time what am I made of that was a good one so so you know what am I made of (laughs) What's my point of reference to whether I can cope or not, whether I should quit or not? And quit is quite an emotive word, which I use on purpose and start thinking through the practicalities, really. And then also doing a stock take of my qualities. As in, if I do an assessment, how do I stack up and therefore what's the decision? And eventually I came to the conclusion that I'm pretty tough, that we human beings are way more capable and tougher than we imagine, which includes a concept called Sisu, which is interesting, which is going beyond your perceived limitations or or boundaries and all that. And eventually then it was like, right, what's involved in carrying on? And as it turned out, it was all about managing the pain and managing the risk of infection. And then, hello, well, that's fine. I can do that. Why, what, you know, fine. Infection is very, very unlikely in Antarctica. There's nothing dirty. It's pure and pristine and frozen. So then it was just like, manage the pain. I can do that. That made it so much more you know, master, not victim, giving me something tangible to to concentrate on, which is basically take a load of painkillers all the time uh, and, you know, just keep mentally strong. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a two day, it was a two day turnaround. That's great to see, to hear that insight. I'm there was curious. a lot more, to be honest, after that, there was still a lot more checking in and sorting myself out, but, but that was the peak. Do you find, and I know you've done other pretty extreme adventures too. We, we definitely want to talk to you about a couple of those that pique mine and Ron's interest. But do you find that that process that you go through of, 
you know, becoming the master, not the victim, the process of figuring out where your strengths are and how to cope through what you're going through, that whole process that helped you get through that moment is kind of an exercise that you're strengthening that you can then use in other areas of your life? I think you can shortcut it the more you do it. Mm. So the more you're familiar with the discipline of having to stop, take, analyze, assess, work things out, make decisions, using tools or tips or strategies to do that, the more you do it, the better at it you get. And I've just, you know, done quite a lot of stuff, which which has given me more and more experience. And I always say, you know, the more the more you experience, the more experienced you are. It makes sense, right? So so I just shortcut now and, and I know I know the points that I need to go to. And then it's just a quicker process, a bit like the change curve or the grief curve that people mm-hmm. might know. The you know, the denial and anger and blame and all that is very quick. <laughs> and then you hit a, a stage and then you start to climb back out. And that's just been shortened, I suppose, now. It's, so I'm going to piggyback on that and then I'm going to push you a little bit more and say, all right, that's great. You know, one of the things that I see is, one of the things we hear is, my life's hard already. Why do I want to do anything hard? Why should I do these adventures? Is how, What's the benefit I'm going to get for my everyday life? And so I want to push you, Paul, and say, what are the benefits? Skiing across Antarctica, do you feel like those lessons help you with, I don't know, the mundane everyday life? And if so, how? Yeah. So, yes, <laughs> that's it. So for a start, I think if somebody's life is tough already, they don't necessarily have to introduce adventure because I think a lot of the lessons and growth comes from the struggle. Mm-hmm. And if there's already struggle, then why add more struggle? Okay. Uh, but that's the zone or that's the place in which we learn and grow and learn to toughen up and dig deep and all that. So, so if somebody's life is hard, then I wouldn't necessarily add to the hardness. But adventure, of course, can bring in more positive elements such as awe and joy and gratitude and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So so that's my point of view on that first bit. But, yeah, I, I think I proactively add adventure to my life in order knowing that despite the challenges and traumas and all that and pain, it's good for me, basically. I kind of know it. And I think I knew it in my gut before I did the degree. And now I know it with all the scientific evidence and research that's stacking up about the purpose and benefits of going on adventure. So you've got fresh air and exercise. Yeah, brilliant. And then you've got the green or blue therapy, which is basically being in nature or in water. All good for us, let alone the, the requirement to be self-responsible, to make decisions, to manage risk, to toughen up when you have to but then at least you've got more resilience for later on in life and all that so yeah I do it on purpose I add adventure to my life I think otherwise life's too easy and I think it helps us to prepare for future difficulty Mm. while getting a lot of other benefits as you're saying as well right yeah yeah and it is humbling I do quite like the humble versus courage thing you need courage to go on an adventure and that helps you become strong and courageous with your heart. But it also brings humility because you're ending up, you know, dealing with being very human in a very 
awesome environment. So I quite like that too. And for me, it grounds me, especially if I get too big headed about life. I know that you bring a lot of this now today into helping people in organizations, which we're going to get to. We totally are going to talk about this on the podcast, but I, I, I just have to ask you to share with us as well as our guests. I mean, if you're listening and you're thinking, ah, a thousand kilometers to the South Pole, that's not a big deal. Well, let's throw your yacht race around the world out there and talk about that, if you would. Just just share with us, those of us like myself that are like, what was that like? And why in the world did you decide to do something like that? Share more of your adventure with us because it's, you know, it's always it's always great to hear what other people do. And you're like, oh my gosh, how is that possible? <laughs> I think, first of all, I just want to point out, it all sounds a bit elite, doesn't it? It sounds a bit special and privileged to ski to South Pole and yacht race around the world. So I just want to point that out because they're the two things we're, we're talking about at the moment. But I've done loads of free and cheap and basic adventures too, which I've loved equally. And I appreciate I'm very privileged to have done those two big ones. So sailing around the world, I, I wasn't a sailor. So interestingly, when I applied to take part in what's known or what was known as the global challenge around the world yacht race I didn't really have much sailing experience and I applied quite late and so I only had about three months to learn to sail before sailing 36,000 miles so it was a mammoth you know steep learning curve absolutely steep as anything and I remember leaving feeling not ready still not quite knowing all the language around sailing and yacht racing being ever so sick and physically just banging into everything living life at a 45 degree angle it was it was extreme immersion into learning to sail whilst racing 24 hours a day and setting off from the UK in a Force 10 gale. It was, oh, gee. Anyway, so yeah, it was huge. It was huge. And then the whole challenge is massive because when I mean, talking about sport performance, really, you are competitively performing 24 hours a day for months. And that's fascinating because that's, and it's in a, in a team. So you've got 18 people somehow living together, rubbing along together, whilst also trying to be at a high-ish performing level, eating, sleeping and drinking at a 45-degree angle. And then the geography of, for instance, sailing around Cape Horn, which is like 22-metre waves and freezing cold. But then you've got the southern lights and the Milky Way and dolphins, and it's incredible. And we had two medical evacuations around Cape Horn. So it was a mammoth, mammoth experience, huge peak experience, good and bad peak, and therefore, of course, massively impactful. And yeah, it was just full on, but I hadn't actually sailed before. So so the fears, I had, I had so many fears before I started. And again, you know, you have to talk them all through and work them all out. It was just, it was amazing. Well, so it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy to think about. I mean, these are way different things, right? You're cross country mm. screening, you know, to the South Pole. Now you're out on the ocean mm. sailing, totally, you know, different things. And so it, it sounds like you like to, 
you like to put yourself into positions where you're uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Here's the thing. I've done some, nothing along the lines of what you've done, but I've done some things where in the middle of it, I think, you know, it's something I've never done before. In the middle, and in my mind, I go, wow, have I just gone too far? If I, if I'm, am I in way over my head is, is kind of a, a way I look at it. And I, I have this sense of panic rise um, like what in the world am I doing? What makes me think I can do this? Uh, do you have those kind of moments? And if you do, how do you get through them? I think I start from a place of accepting and knowing that it is going to be tough, challenging, out of my comfort zone, dangerous. I think I just start knowing that. And therefore, I think the I don't get panicky. I think I just go, here we go. This, this you know. What a surprise. Here we are, sort of way over my head, you know, but I don't think it's a panic feeling. I think it's more of a acknowledgement that, yeah, these things are tough. I'm not perfect and I'm certainly not an experienced skier, cyclist, sailor, whatever. But you literally just take one task at a time. And I think the mammothness of the task can sometimes be what overwhelms. Whereas I just skied, I, I was only skiing. When I skied to South Park, I was just skiing and it was flattish. It was a bit uphill, but I was only skiing and you just keep, you keep skiing and sailing. You're just sailing. You know, you're on a boat with a load of people and all you're doing is sailing. And the next job to do is to eat or to um, winch a rope. Fine. I can do that. So, so for me, I think one is the acceptance that it is of course going to be blooming stretchy and and then it's whenever I feel overwhelmed I just concentrate on doing the next thing that I need to do when I'm relaxed I can then expand back out and go wow look at me I'm sailing around the world get me you know I've just sailed from England to Australia halfway around the world when you're kind of relaxed and happy and your brain is more open and chilled then I think you can start to zoom back out and appreciate what you're doing but when it gets a bit interesting, you know, just concentrate on the next hour or mile and that's enough. I, I like that. She says that's interesting. That, that's yeah. when, it, interesting. when it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Paula, do you have a bucket list? Yes, do I? Oh, we got to hear what's, what, can you give us like one or two? Like, what do you have? Because I just got to know from someone that's done some of these things, what in the world is on your bucket list? So I call it my live life to the fullest because it's called a bucket list because it's things you want to do before you kick the bucket, which I think is slightly negative already. So I call it, I call it my live life to the fullest. And I've done 120 things on it. Most uh, people also, have 10 on their bucket list. I just want to point that out. <laughs> yeah, but some of them, some of them are really small. Don't you it's know? great. No, it's great. Um, and I've got about 50 on my list of things to do yet. So, but that's ever, ever changing, ever evolving. So, for instance, on my list of things to do is live to be 100. So that's an interesting one, isn't okay. it? <laughs> oh, that's an interesting one. I do like that, yeah. I could even go beyond 100 because it's already perhaps a limit. But anyway, yeah, so so things done include some classics like swim with dolphins and see the, the northern lights or the southern lights. But I've also done some silly things like taking part in the Red Bull soapbox race, which is in the States. I don't know if you know it. 
I basically racing a, racing a cart downhill in fancy dress. <laughs> 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 and then one of my favourite adventures was I went to West Papua, which is near Papua New Guinea, because I quite like the tribal jungle-based experiences and adventuring. I do a lot of wild swimming, which I love. And then things like volcanoes and earthquakes and natural wonders. It's, I've I think the main thing is that everyone's bucket list is their own and, you know, it doesn't have to compare or contrast to anyone else's. So so when people say, wow, Paula, you've done so much or your bucket list, wow, or you've skewed South Pole, I don't necessarily want the wow thing. I think, you know, we're all different and everyone's bucket list is theirs. And if we can inspire each other, great. But I don't think anyone needs to compare or contrast what they've done with what I'm doing. I, I, oh, I think that. that's, yeah, it's yeah. great advice. It's yeah. true. Comparison gets us in a lot of trouble. Mm. And we see it a lot with our, our university students, but I think it goes for everyone. I'm curious, especially during COVID, I think, you know, it's, we all know we've been in it long enough that we're starting to see the trends that emerge from, you know, isolation or just going through a very difficult, uncertain time. And one yeah. of them is kind of losing our luster for life or yeah. losing our sense of direction or purpose or who am I and what am I here to do? And you're, you have a book right on the topic we were just talking about, which is living your life to the full. Mm-hmm. We'd love to know a, a little bit about it and why people, why it might help people now. I'm sure it would help people at any point in time, but I think this is a, a perfect time for that. And why did you write it? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting times and a lot of people are feeling the at the moment, which I totally get. So so the book and what part of what's in it is is the small as well as the big. So I think we all know the phrase seize the day or carpe diem, but I also believe in savoring the moments. So I think it's depending on what what you're feeling currently, you can be in one of three modes. So you can be in survival mode or coping or thriving. And we're all in all different modes all the time. So I think it's good to just recognise and be okay with the fact that sometimes we just have to be in survival mode. And that's without much ambition or standards. It's just letting yourself off the hook, reining in your goals and ambitions and bucket lists and whatever, and just literally getting through the day. So that's what I call survival mode. You're just plodding through the day and getting through it and surviving. If you're coping, I think you're generally on top of things and that you're managing all the challenges and and tasks that the day brings. But then sometimes we can be thriving when we're feeling quite buzzy and um, fully alive and vitally alive. And it can be despite the chaos and uncertainty and crisis that's all around us because we feel there's a dynamic energy in that and we respond to it. So I just wanted to say that as well, because, you know, the pandemic's been so hard, but we've all felt it differently and experienced it differently. And that's okay. And I think it's okay to survive or cope or thrive, depending on how you're feeling. And then, yeah, I think I think you can have micro, small moments of absolute appreciation or gratitude or pleasure or savouring when you're just fully present and you just look at you know, a spider web in the rain and it's just got dew on it or raindrops on it and the sun catches it and you get, you know, the colours and the beauty of it all the way through to a massive, you know, experience or adventure. So the book is about living life to the full, 
and some of my stories and strategies, but it's the small stuff as well as the big stuff. It's the one step at a time versus going on a massive quest. And I think either can help us through when we're feeling the, either a small step, which feels at least like there's a bit of progress and momentum, or going for a walk or wild swim, which a lot of people have taken up over lockdown, right the way through to get yourself a big, hairy, scary goal and go for it. <laughs> Depends what mood you're in and how much energy you've got, though. I tuned into the word savoring. In, in my book that I'm writing, as I mentioned, uh, and maybe you're familiar with this, Paula, there's, there's some research that I kind of stumbled upon that the more we feel adversity, the more we have a capacity for savoring. And so I think as you go out and do these adventures and you face adversity, it kind of opens up a whole world of savoring the little things in life, right? And so I think, quite honestly, that's a, a benefit from doing you know, crazy adventures. So we've talked about some of your crazy adventures. What do you have on the horizon? What's going on? What are you working on? Maybe you have an adventure out there, or maybe you have something that's exciting you that you want to share with our audience. Yeah. So, so it's difficult at the moment. I love traveling. I love visiting countries and cultures and immersing myself in geographies and landscapes and climates and people. But obviously that's pretty curtailed at the moment. And I've just decided to not try too hard at traveling too much at the moment because it just keeps getting disrupted. But I was on a cycling across 50 countries challenge. I've done 12 and I loved it. So I've got 38 more countries wow. to cycle across when the when the borders open and I'm allowed. But I, I love that one. I just I just take everything on my bike and I touring cycle from from one border to the other border mm. and world world camp on the way and just yeah, it's a Beautiful. great one. Great one. So I'm loving that, and I'm sort of, you know, looking forward to taking that up again. North Pole is is has been mooted, and it's sitting there quietly on the on the horizon uh, as a biggie to potentially do one day. And then I'm writing a book as well. I'm writing a book for Routledge, which will be an academic textbook, and I think the first about adventure psychology. So that's my current adventure is a is a mental one. And yeah, the book's Adventure Psychology, Going Knowingly into the Unknown, which is my sort of strap line. And it's pulling together all the current and very current research and even sort of concepts that are just on the edge of our thinking now, you know, really current or kind of near future ideas around success, failure, courage, adventure, defining adventure, Sisu, I mentioned earlier, going beyond our perceived limits. What is success? What is failure? How to cope, survive and thrive? All that sort of stuff. So I'm loving that. And I, I think it might be the first academic textbook that really collates all the concepts of, of adventure psychology under one roof. So that's that's super exciting, actually, even though it's not me climbing a mountain. I know, who, I know who's going to be your first two customers. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I can't wait to get my hands on that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> It'll be out, I think, next year. You know, there's guidelines and deadlines and stuff. But yeah. And then, Paula, how are you working with organizations? Because I, I know that you also help people, like individual people, but also orgs and businesses build resilience through everything that we've been talking about here today, how do you make that connection to what you've done into helping people in the business world? 
Yeah, so there is a strong connection. It's basically we're all on a journey and it's, you know, a journey of difficulty and challenge and uncertainty. And whether that's a personal journey throughout our life or a business journey or or just, you know, over a day or a month. And it's how do we how do we cope with all the obstacles and uncertainties that that involves? And I take that either in you know, there can be like an inspirational speech about skiing to South Pole and the mm-hmm. pain and suffering and difficulties I had and how I dealt with them, all the way through to quite often I do a leadership retreat. Came back one from one last night from Scotland, and it's a, a more reflective, immersive experience for attendees to really ponder kind of what are they doing with their lives and are they doing the right thing? Are they on the right track? and what their future quest or dream might be and how to achieve it mm. so it's lovely it's very it's lovely yeah so there's lots of parallels between journeys adventuring climbing mountains sailing and all that and then I introduce strategies and tools for either surviving coping or thriving how to deal with uncertainty change challenge and all that mm. but I think I think we need I feel like we have gone a bit soft so controversy, maybe there's too much molly coddling, smothering, nanny state, cotton wooling, whatever you want to call it. And I think therefore we've lost quite a few skills. And I would like to see more younger people, especially, but all sorts of people just having that struggle and 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 learning to stand up again on their own two feet and to strengthen themselves physically and psychologically to get their confidence and courage back if they've lost it a bit, maybe. Mm, you're, 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 yeah, we are right there with you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, of course, this podcast centers on that a lot. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I think that we've lost a little bit of that. Mm. And, not, and I think it's to our detriment as we become mm. more comfortable and more soft and maybe you know, fluent, it, it's not mm. helping us. And so maybe we need to seek out these adventures and we mm. need to seek out hard things. I mean, again, I, I like your, your thoughts on that, Paula, you know, wherever your station is in life, decide what that, what that hard is for you. Maybe right now the, the best you can do is surviving. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So great messaging. Let's go to our last question. If you're ready for it, Paula, um, it's a shame, what isn't is, it? I'm enjoying myself. Go on. Yes. Us too. Yes. Talk all day. It's only the clock that is limiting our, our discussion here, Paula. You know, as as everybody knows that listens to this podcast, we like to normalize failure and, and let people know that, hey, this is pretty normal. Even really successful people like Paula have failures. And we like to ask our guests, what's your greatest failure and what did you learn from it? And what do you think of failure? <laughs> Well, that was my first reaction to the word failure, really. I, don't, I just don't, I hardly think there is such a thing as failure. If you're going to try, if you're going to stretch, if you're going to give something a go, if you're going to put yourself in the arena, then, then it's not failure, is it? So, that's, so it's, it's, it's courage and it's trying and you can't, you can't call that failure. So there is a famous quote by Roosevelt, man in the arena, where if you're willing to put yourself in the arena, if you're willing to put yourself out there, give things a go, go into your stretch zone or whatever it is, then that's not failure at all. That's just amazing. 
So, so that's my opinion about that. Having said that, I am definitely not perfect. I am work in progress. Every day is a school day. I know this is a podcast, and I'm I'm trying to be strong and inspirational. But most of the feedback I get is that I'm quite, you know, accessible and humble and normal because I because I think I'm human and and everyone's human, of course. And with that comes vulnerability and weakness and stuff that I'm not good at and stuff that I get wrong. But I just, I don't call it failure. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then... Join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.